0: Hello and Shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, hey, everybody. Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Pastor Joe Amon from Out of Ashes Ministry, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. And I have a question for you. How the heck are you? Are you doing good? Is your family good? I hope everyone is doing exceptionally well. And um, I hope that things are going well for you and your family. I pray all blessings and health and... Uh, On you and your family Well we are in the counting of the Omer as Pesach has now passed And uh, we are looking forward to Shavuot And uh, before we get into this week's episode uh, I just want to talk about a word that I relate Or seem to have been relating every year that we've been keeping uh, the Moedim For the last 12 to 14 years, whatever it's been, 15 years Uh, And that word is introspection and uh, it's a word that I, uh, I really hold very dear to my heart, partly because of how I'm wired and the kind of person I am. Uh, I tend to be naturally very introspective, uh, almost to a fault. I've probably mentioned it on the show before. I'm a bit of an overthinker. Uh, not really. I'm kind of like I win the championship of overthinking. And I know some of you are out there going like, oh, no, 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 no. There's no way you overthink more than I do. I don't want this to turn into like a battle of the overthinkers but um, those of us who are those of you who understand what I'm saying you get it um you you know you think about things you think about life you think way too much maybe about a lot of things uh, but one of the things that I think about a lot is just me uh not in a in an arrogant way or a prideful way maybe, but, um, you know, think about my words, think about my attitudes, my conversations, my motives, you know, where my heart is, just, you know, things, just think about why I I think the way I do and why I process life the way I do and all of that kind of stuff. And so I'm very naturally an introspective type person, but I realized over the last, you know, many years, uh, keeping the Moedim, celebrating the feast days, and listen, our family, our fellowship, personally, We've celebrated all different kinds of ways. Uh, we began in this walk, you know, with a pretty anti-Rabbinic, anti-Jewish bent. Um, so we just kind of made up um, made up celebrations and the way we celebrated. Uh, you know, of course, quote-unquote, according to Scripture, uh, which really means according to the way I read and understood Scripture. <laughs> and uh, eventually realized that there were other people that read it and read it differently than I did. And uh, so, anyway, we we now have more of a um, more of a, a, a love and a passion for understanding uh, the Jewish people in the way that they've understood and celebrated and uh, kept and guarded right the 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 Torah and the, the moedim especially. And so, we've celebrated a lot of different ways, but no matter how we've chosen to celebrate throughout the years, uh, there's always been this idea of of introspection and preparation that comes with the moedim. And, you know, in, in, in Pesach and unleavened bread kind of kicks off the year and, and gets us started into the cycle. And then we have this counting of the Omer, which approaches Shavuot. And all of these 49 days that we count are to be a preparation. They're to be a time of introspection, a time of discipleship and learning and really growing inside as a, as a human being as we prepare for Shavuot, to the anniversary of the receiving of the Torah and the giving of the Ruach, those two events being uh, being very, very holy events. And they are worthy of our preparation, right? They're worthy of our, our hearts being prepared to both receive the Torah again, uh, afresh and anew, and to be continually filled with the Ruach. So, then we have after that we you know we get a, a little break kind of, and then we have the time of Elul, which is forty days of Shiva and and repentance before we approach Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and so it just there's always this preparation going on, and I hope that we're all taking advantage of these times and and not just not just focusing on the 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 festival, the feast itself, but the the intermittent times in between that we're not. Uh, Just rolling up to the festival, however we are, our hearts in disarray and our minds all, you know, cluttered with all kind of other mess and stress and worldly stuff. Um, But that we are approaching as we would be going to approach the King, and because that's exactly what we're doing. And so this, these times, this counting of the Omer time, I just encourage you to to be counting the Omer. Uh, to be counting every day and doing some type of devotion, some type of, you know, walking through a book of the Bible or, uh, you know, one of the many, uh, wonderful Jewish uh, traditional, um, uh, devotional times that they have, devotional writings that they have throughout the, this, uh, Sefran Ha'omer. And uh, I just really pray that you're growing and that Hashem is leading you and stretching you in some really, uh, really significant areas during this time. So, uh, let's jump into this week's episode. But before we do, as always, as is our custom, let us go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. We approach you today together as a community and we are so thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful, Father, that you have enlightened us not only to your Messiah, but to the Torah and the festivals and all the beauty that you have in your word. We love you and we bless you for this time together. So hey, everybody. Uh, welcome again to this episode of Image Bears Radio. If it's your first time stopping by, then welcome. I uh, hope that you stick around for the entire conversation today. And uh, just want to say thank you to Hebrew Nation Online for providing us this opportunity and uh, there's so many wonderful teachers and wonderful material uh, that Hebrew Nation provides for us. And so what a great ministry. Uh, also, don't forget to check out the archives also on the Hebrew Nation website, uh, as well as our website, outofashesministries.org. We keep an archive there of all of our Shabbat teachings, all of the radio shows, and uh, it goes to podcasts on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Point being, we're out there. If you want to find us, go take a look. You'll find us. And uh so we thank you. Again, if it's your first time, uh, we do live stream our Shabbat services. We've had some internet issues, but I think we're past that now, hopefully. And um, we sh- uh, we live stream every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central. Uh, we live stream to our website, again, outofashesministries.org. And we also simulcast to Facebook where there's a very active chat you can jump in on if you'd like to. And then to YouTube if you like that format better. And, uh, so we also archive those teachings after the fact and post them up to YouTube, uh, and to our website as well. So, anyway, we, we have stuff everywhere. If you're interested in studying with us and, uh, and walking with us, it'd be great. So, join us on Shabbat and, uh, we'd love to have you. For those of you guys that are faithful listeners and that, that catch us and, and follow us every week, thank you so much for being, uh, being a part of the family and for making this community what it is. And that is awesome. So, uh, what are we diving into today? Well, uh, speaking of our Shabbat live stream, a uh, couple of weeks ago, we talked about Shemini Shel Pesach, uh, which is the eighth day of Passover here in the exile and Diaspora, and we talked about this tradition in the Hasidic world, uh, in Chabad and other, other parts of Judaism uh, called Seud HaMashiach, the uh, Messiah's meal, the meal of Messiah. And uh, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and then this last week uh, we did the Haftarah for Parsha Akremot, uh, which is Ezekiel 22, and... Uh, I'll be honest with you, I said on Shabbat, uh, Ezekiel has always been kind of a scary book for me because it's weird, and I just never, I've never really given it uh, a lot of time, to be honest, and I just thought, oh, it's mysterious, and there's a lot of confusion about it, and, you know, I've always heard sermons about the wheel and the wheel and, and all this kind of stuff, and I just, I just don't have the mental capacity, really, <laughs> to to break down and understand the book of Ezekiel, but through the wrote this this last partial cycle. And we've, we've, in our Wednesday night uh, remnant studies, we've been focusing on uh, the Haftarot. And Ezekiel has come up several times. And I am telling you, I am just falling in love with the book of Yehazkel as we dive into it and as we see the, the prophecies and see the man of Ezekiel and Uh, It's just been incredibly enlightening, super harsh at times, and still weird. Yes, it's some apocalyptic stuff in there, Um, but uh, just, wow, the book of Yehezkel is unbelievable. Um, And so we, last week, we were in uh, Yehezkel 22, uh, the haftarah for Akremot, according to the Ashkenazi um, uh, tradition, and we were reading about... um, you know, the this idea that Jerusalem had become like the nations, uh, worse than the nations, actually. And we've been dealing the last few weeks a lot with this idea of holiness and what does it mean uh, to be gods and what does it mean to represent him, to look like him. And so this last Shabbat, we, we got a couple of series kind of run, running concurrently. We're flipping between. Uh, one is uh, reading the Bible better. And the other, we just started this last Shabbat, is about having God's personality. And the reason why I'm I, I'm thinking about it like that is because all my life growing up in church, I've heard about God's character, having a godly character, and all those kinds of things. And I don't know, it may just be where I am in life, but for me, that just seems kind of sterile. And when I think about God having a personality, um, it just... Helps me to think a little bit better. It helps, it spurs imagination and creativity and, and curiosity and a desire to go, well, like, what is personality, right? And if we think about a person, pick a person and think about their personality, uh, what is that, what kind of images and what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of sense do you get when you think, what do you feel like when you, when you think about those things? And for me, I think about a person's personality as, you know, what makes them uniquely them. Um, is it their character, which is a part of their personality? Uh, you know, their character, that commitment to being, uh, being, a, you know, a right person and, and fair and just and and righteous and you know, steadfast and faithful and good stewards and those kinds of things. Uh, do you know? Do they have a character, a, a good character, a reliable character? Um, but also, um, personality can mean their, you know, their their loves and their hates, their their passions, you know, those kinds of things, their desires. It can also mean, and particularly this is interesting for me, uh, it can mean like their sense of humor, you know, or their, just their general approach to life. Is All those things make up their personalities. And so when we think about God's character and God's personality, it just – it invokes in me a curiosity because for me, personality is such a dynamic word. And you know, the the scriptures talk about how, you know, Hashem sings and he dances and you know, all these things that, and the words that I just never and, and attributes I never associated with the character of God. I do associate with the personality of God. And so I'm I'm doing some 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 teaching and some we're doing some discussion on on having a godly personality and what does that mean? We are his image bearers after all. So what does that look like and what does that mean? So I hope you'll check that out and, and kind of stick with us for that series as, as it evolves and as it, as it comes to fruition. And today in this same kind of lane, um, we're going to talk about the Parsha for this week, the Parsha and the Haftarah a little bit. And this week's Parsha is Kedoshim, which is a, uh, a really central and foundational uh, Parsha to being an image bearer and to having God's personality, to having a godly character. Uh, Kedoshim, of course, meaning, uh, holy ones. And it begins in Leviticus chapter 19. And so, Vayikra chapter 19, uh, verse 1, uh, is kind of comes out with guns blazing, right? And this, this statement, this verse that we've read a bunch and, it's repeated in the Brihadishah and the apostolic scriptures. And in verse 1, it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them. So let's stop right there and, and think about just this introduction that the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, if you ask most people that have any idea about the book of Vayikra and not a lot of Christians do, but if you ask uh most people, the book of Vayikra uh, or Leviticus, uh it's in the name, right? It's the Levitical code, or it's the Levitical standard. Uh, it has to do with the Levites, with the Levites and the priests, of course, the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol. Um, it has to do, it's it's the laws for the priests. And up until now, most of these laws have been really kind of pointed to the priests, the Levites, the judges, uh, and they've been, uh, they've been a, a, a standard of how to lead and rule the nation, uh, how to approach Hashem as an example to the rest of the people. And so um, here we have kind of a turn where Kedoshim, uh, Hashem speaks to Moses and he says, speak to everyone, the entire assembly. And we see this phrase in other parts previously, but this one is really uh, the start of kind of a new section in in Vaikra. Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them. So this is not just for the priesthood. This is not just for the Levites. This is not just for the judges and the captains and the governors and the leaders. This is not just for the Sanhedrin. This is not just, you know, for those that are in the upper echelons and the leadership. This is for everybody, every man, woman, and child in the nation. Speak to them and say, you shall be holy, for I am holy, yod your God. And then in verse 3, it says, every man, and in in the Humash it has a colon. In other words, okay, men, listen up. Every man, uh, your mother and father you should revere, and my sabbaths, my shabbatot, uh, you shall observe. I am Hashem your God. And this refrain, I am Hashem your God, happens over and over and over and over. In Verse 4, do not turn to the idols, the molten gods. You uh, shall you not make to yourselves, I am Hashem your God. So you have this refrain over and over and over, tying God's character and God's personality. What makes God, God? What makes Hashem, Hashem? What makes him and his character and his personality and his essence different than the other gods of the other nations? Um, You know, we talk about the name, and you guys know if you've listened any amount of time, I really have a soapbox uh, you know, this is really a soapbox issue for me, um, the name, because I spent so many years uh, arguing with people over the pronunciation of the name and being argued with. Um, you know, there's been several occasions where I've met another, you know, Hebrew roots, Messianic person uh, just out of the blue, didn't know them from Adam and met them. And, you know, I shook up my hand, to uh, shake their hand, I stuck up my hand to shake hands and, you know, and said, hi, my name is my name is Joe. And, um, and the first question or the first response was, how do you pronounce the name? And it's like, whoa, (laughs) uh, Joe, J O E it's pretty, you know, of course that's not what they mean, but I've had several run-ins like that and just taken up so much valuable time in talking about the pronunciation when Hashem's name is so much more than just a collection of four letters and some vowels, just like your name, is is more than just a collection of letters, right, um, and a pronunciation. You as a person, your name, your, uh, your, again, your character, your personality, your reputation, your authority, all those things are so much more than just a collection of letters. It's what makes you, you. You are individually you. And there's a lot of other Joes, Josephs out there, um, but I am, I'm uniquely Joseph, right, me, and what makes me unique from the other Josephs? Um, and so this thing about God's name, him, him repeating this refrain, I am Hashem, your God. Uh, I am Yudhe Vavhe, your God, which we know from, uh, his revelation of the name to Moshe means, you know, I will be, uh, I will be your God. And this, this constant, uh, thing in, in Kedoshima about tying these standards, these holy, this standard of holiness, whatever that means, we'll talk about that. This standard of holiness to his reputation and to his character and to his name, uh not just to the fact that we wear vav vavhe like a banner uh we do, but his his name is a banner, he is a banner, but what does that mean? It means that his you know his character his personality I'm going to repeat this stuff over and over, and yes, I realize I am beating a dead horse uh but this one needs to be beaten um that it is it is just more that we wear it like we, more than we just wear it like a name tag or like a banner uh it is that we carry uh his essence with us and our life is a reflection on him just as much as his character and and essence should be a reflection in us so i i think that's it's, it's very interesting to study this parsha especially really really carefully And we start out by dealing with this idea of holiness. Right out the gate, he says, be holy, uh, for holy am I, or I am holy. And holiness, the word holiness gets a lot of play. Um, there's a lot of questions about it. It's a, it's, for a lot of us, it's kind of a hard word to define, right? What does holiness mean? And, uh, what is, what is that, uh, you know, what's the, the kind of, what's the vibe that it's trying to give off? What is the vibe that Hashem is trying to give off? What, When he says be holy, what are we supposed to, number one, uh, hear and and understand? And then what is the expectation uh, of holiness from us? We think of holiness maybe as perfection, uh, be perfect as I am perfect, and some Bibles even translate it that way. Um, And yet we know that that only Hashem is perfect and that perfection for us is never going to be attainable. Even though we may and should strive for some level of perfection, perfection is really not the question here. I think perfection comes from this idea that in Genesis, uh, before uh, Hava eats and, and Adam eat from the fruit, the world was perfect. And the scriptures, doesn't, the scriptures don't say that. It says that everything was tov, it was good. Well, good is different than Perfect. And in the Hebrew understanding, in the biblical understanding, there really is not a, an a, the idea of perfection uh, as we think about it today as far as everything being right and, you know, whatever we think about perfection. Uh, things were good, and I love Dr. John Walton. I've, I've talked a lot about Dr. Walton's work, uh, but also many other scholars uh, are saying these same things, that this idea that in Genesis everything was tov or tov me'od, very good, is this idea that it was functional? It was uh, everything operated as it intended. It doesn't mean that there weren't hiccups and bumps, and it doesn't mean that people weren't people. But it's this idea that everything was was functioning and was good, and God was satisfied with what He had made. And so, holiness is not perfection in the sense that we think about it today. Um, just think about it in your own you know in your own mind some of the other ways we try to describe holiness and try to think about holiness and and what that means. On the perfection thing, again, um, does God ask us to do things that he knows we're incapable of doing? Which brings up another, you know, series of questions kind of along that same line. This can be kind of circular, right? We could go around this tree for, for days or weeks, uh, or many people go around it for years, right, in our lives trying to figure out what what is God asking of us. Um, and it's good, we, we, we take these things seriously, and I don't mean to diminish anyone's understanding, but we take it seriously and we look for answers because we sincerely want, whatever God's asking, we sincerely want to do it, and we want to please him, right? Which is, a, which is a, a, an admirable and necessary attitude to have. If God wants us to be perfect and we sincerely want to please him, then we are going to spend our life and our energy uh, to that goal, And so if God knows that we can't be perfect, would he ask us to do that anyway? On the flip side, is holiness something different than perfection? And God believes that we can do it. And so he is asking us to step into what he knows we are capable of. And I think that's an interesting way to look at this idea that, you know, of course, it says in other places in the Torah that, you know, the Torah is not far from you. It's not it's not impossible. Contrary to what most of us have been, you know, uh, told our whole lives that it well, it's impossible to keep the law perfectly. What if that was never the point? What if this holiness, this idea of holiness, was never perfection? In in again, in the way that we think about perfection, doing everything perfectly and quote unquote right. What if that's not the point? Uh, I think that's it's hard for that to be the point because. We, we find that, you know, any one of us who starts to to pursue keeping the Torah uh, with a right heart and right, you know, right motives, we, uh, sh- we understand very quickly that uh, doing it quote-unquote right is kind of a moving target, right? Um, we, again, like I talked about, like our Passover, you know, our, our Passover and our festival celebrations – have changed over the years because we thought we were doing them according to Scripture, but realized that maybe somewhere else somebody saw Scripture completely differently. So which one is right, right? <laughs> well, of course, ours is, right? Because my interpretation is always right, and that's that's foolish and arrogant, of course. We all know that, or hope we know that. If you didn't, I just told you, so— So anytime we, you know, discuss being a person of God, holiness is where everything starts. So in the second segment, we're going to talk about holiness a little bit more. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm so glad that you guys chose to stick around. And so we're talking about Parshat Kereshim, holy ones, and what does it mean to be holy? And uh, this could be an exhaustive, you know, several-week series probably on what it means to be holy. But I want to read just a couple of quotes from uh a rabbi that I can uh, I get emails from, and I, I think that they're— really well worded and well said, and it just helps me to think a little bit more about holiness and the approachability of holiness. As we said in the last segment, if holiness is, uh, if it is perfection and everyone, especially Hashem knows that we as mortal humans can never be perfect, is that really what he's asking? If it's not, then what is he asking? and if he's asking for holiness and holiness is something other than perfection then it means that it is attainable for us because he wouldn't ask us to do something that we're not able to do god's not playing this cosmic game of like you know carrot on a stick with us he is asking us to do things that is completely possible for us to achieve and the the whole reason for giving the torah is this very this very plea this very call is for holiness. So, I, I want to read this. This first is from the midrash, and uh, I just think it shines some light in it starts to shine some light into what this whole idea of holiness is. Uh, the midrash in, uh, in uh, Kedoshim one one says this parsha was addressed to all of the assembly because of the main bodies of the Torah law depend upon it. So the 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 living of the torah and the giving of the torah depend on whether or not we will choose to pursue being holy right and so it's of course we know this intrinsically i guess or you know it we should that if if your your pursuit is holiness and that's why the father led you to the torah in the first place right i know many of us we sit around and we go like why me why did or i do at least why did God call me? And I've said this several times before. There were so many people in my life that are more uh that are are more sincere, they're they're they are more humble, uh they pray more, they study more, they're more deserving in my mind of being called to the Torah. And yet God called me for some reason out of, you know, all of that group of people. And why? Um and and it's it's I don't know why. I don't I don't have the answer for that, but the the fact that the Torah, as stated in this in this midrash, the Torah, all of the, the commandments, the main bodies of the Torah law and and, and and what God is is commanding us to do and instructing us how to live are built upon the pursuit of holiness, right? So it goes on to say um, be holy, be pure, Perushim, separate from the world's vanities. Okay, so that's an important uh, statement, separate from the world's vanities. So for me, what that that means is, uh, separ- we're going to talk about being separated from the world uh, in a little bit. I think this is really challenging and really interesting, um, and hopefully will be challenging to you. But separate from the world's vanities, uh, what does that mean? Well, In in my mind, and I would you know I I wish this was a conversation. I'd love to hear some of your inputs, but this this idea of of prioritizing what's important, right? Uh, What's important? What is? What are the world's vanities? Well, the world's vanities are you know things like success and uh, self um, self defense. That's not the word I'm looking for. Conservation, uh, right? Self conservation at all costs. Which means to the detriment of other people, right? Um that's a big one of the world's vanities, uh the, the world's emptinesses, you know, the pursuits of the natural world, of 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 humanity. And so holiness, number one, um, is this attribute of, of separating yourselves from the world's vanities. It doesn't mean that that success in itself is a negative. Right? God grants Israel success and, and people of Israel, patriarchs and matriarchs, throughout the entire scripture, including, you know, through the book of Revelation, eventually, um, we all all of the kingdom, all of the people of God have great success. That's a great thing, Baruch Hashem. We should want that. But success to what end and success uh for what motivation, right? Uh self preservation, preservation, not conservation. Preservation is the word I was looking for earlier. Um, Self-preservation is not a negative. Uh, It's not a sin uh, necessarily. But again, when it violates other people's uh, well-being, when it ignores other people's well-being, it becomes empire, an attribute of empire instead of an attribute of of shalom and and God's holiness. So it goes on to say, quote, "For for holy am I, Hashem your God. This teaches that if you sanctify yourselves, I consider it as if you had sanctified me. That's interesting. And if you do not sanctify yourselves, I consider it as if you have not sanctified me. Could it mean that if you sanctify me, then I am sanctified? But if not, then I am not sanctified? No, because it says, for I am holy. I am in my holiness, whether they sanctify me or not. So this kind of ties back into what we talked about in the intro, in the first segment. This idea that we, you know, as the people who are called by the name of Hashem, as the people who wear His name, uh, as the people who, you know, we say the the ironic blessing, uh, Birkat Kohanim, uh, on ourselves and our children every every day, every week, especially you know, erev Shabbat. And for us, we do it over the children as as part of our blessing the children on during our Shabbat services. We are placing Hashem's name. Again, this is not about placing his four-letter pronunciation. This is about placing his essence, his ethic, his personality. Again, using those words, his, his, his humor, his passion, his desire, his image on us that we may not just be people that tout his name, but we may be people that actually express who he is, his essence, right? Right? And I think this is the biblical theme. This is what the, the which is what Yeshua was getting at for sure. And then this is what the apostolic writings were getting at um, in calling people to holiness and to being disciples. Right. Um, so this this thing is if you if you sanctify yourselves, you'll sanctify me. Now, of course, as it as the this section ends um, in the in the midrash, of course, God is going to be holy. Whether no matter what we do, he his holiness stands apart from ours. Um, in in reality, however, one of the points I take from this is that uh, excuse the thunder, it's there's a storm coming in. But it this the idea that to other people is God holy to to the world around us? Do we if we sanctify ourselves, then to the world around us we sanctify God in their eyes, and we sanctify Him in our own eyes. The holier we become by leading of the spirit by doing good deeds by keeping the mitzvot the holier we become as we develop in holiness and we are pulled away from earthly vanities the more we do that the more we make heavenly things and kingdom things the priority torah things the priority over worldly vanities the more we do that the more hashem is sanctified in our eyes the more we realize the beauty of who God is, and I have seen this firsthand, and many of you have as well as you 've studied Torah and different aspects and different parts, but for me in studying the temple, this has become evidently clear that the more I dedicate myself to the study of uh, of, of, of Habayit, the house, the more I realize the the holiness of God and one of my tem- well my temple teacher one of my teachers joseph good uh, if you 've ever heard him. You've likely heard him say this, that he, you know, growing up a Christian and all, he never understood what holiness really was until he started to study the temple. And it began to open up so many understandings of God's holiness. And when we talk about holiness, that word is kedusha, right? Kedusha. You've heard that he say that word, and you've heard probably Joe Good, Rico Cortez, anyone who teaches on the temple um, that knows what they're talking about is kedusha is central. It's the foundation of the temple, and what the temple is teaching, what it taught its people, uh, what it taught the people of Israel, and what it is teaching us still today is the holiness of God, right? The set-apartness of God. We set apart, we've used that word, that phrase so many times we don't even really know what it means. It's kind of the lullaby effect, I think. And so th- this whole thing about as we ourselves personally, as we dedicate ourselves um, to to all of these things, we we increase in our sanct- we our sanctification of Hashem increases. Yeah, it, it it in His holiness we start to get a better picture of what it is. And then secondly, like I said, it as we sanctify Him more, um, we are He is more sanctified in the eyes of people who are watching us and the the world around us. Right? He is uplifted, He's magnified, and all those all those wonderful things. So, what does this journey of holiness mean, right? And so, what what does that entail? I, I believe it's all of our uh, our desire, and it's all of our uh, you know our motive sincerely sincere motive to to be set apart to God and to set Him apart. In, in the world we live in, right? That's, that's all of our motive, and I believe that. I believe that we have a sincere desire. That I believe that the vast majority of Christians even have that desire. But what does that look like? For some, it has looked like um, you know, being set apart, if we go off of that definition. For many people, and this is not just Hebrew roots or whatever, this is in all, you know, in all uh, manners of Christian experience, um, it, you know, even with starting with the monks way back, uh, even before that, um, in the Jewish world, starting with the Essenes and probably people before them, right, that wanted to escape the world's corruption, and so, or in the case of the Essenes, es- escape the temple's corruption, the Sadducean-run temple. But there have been throughout the history the this remnant of God's people that have taken this holiness idea and this set apart idea. To mean that we have to physically escape. We have to physically cut ourselves off from the the rest of the world in order not to be contaminated by it. Right. And so we that may not, you know, you may not have moved to a deserted, you know, place in America so you could live wholly by yourself and not be I mean, and some people that's their thing. They want to move away from people. And, and they want, you know, and the, I guess the thought is that, well, if I get away from people, then I can't be contaminated by them. And some of you out there may not have taken that, you know, taken that course of action. Um, but yet maybe there's people in your life or people in your community, in your town, in your city, in your apartment building, on your street, whatever, maybe even in your fellowship – that you choose to associate with less than others because you feel like they're not holy enough, or are they going to contaminate your holiness? Maybe. Does that make sense? And so that's what we've taken holiness to mean in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, as a, raised as a good Baptist kid, you know, I was told things like, you know, you shouldn't go to barrooms, even though my dad was in bands and he raised me in barrooms partly and <laughs> partly there, and I was partly in church. Or um, are, are full-time both ways, let's say uh, In the bar rooms on Friday and Saturday night In church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night You know, that kind of thing um, But I would sit and listen to the preacher on Sunday morning Wednesday night, you know, Sunday night Say, you know, you shouldn't go into You shouldn't be a person who's around drunkards And you shouldn't go into bar rooms And you shouldn't be here or there Because of the people that go there And the associations that go along with it But then I read my Gospels and I see like That's all the places where Yeshua hung out, right? That's, a, that's his world um, he was always with those people. He was always with the people that we considered not holy. And so it was always kind of a weird thing for me. Like, so if that was Yeshua's play, that was his most time he invested was with people that the, that the ruling class and the religious society didn't see as holy. If that was his main audience, then again, is holiness something different than what we think it is, right? Because the, they don't match, those two things don't match. So there's another quote here I want to read, and I think this is really helpful, or at least to get you started thinking about uh, a different way to think about holiness. And it says, the code of holiness contained in our Parsha, Kedoshim, is not one that requires its followers to separate from the material world and live apart in ascetic communities such as in monasteries and the like. So we talked about in the first uh, the quote from the Midrash it's talking about uh holiness being one that denies worldly vanities. Right? But the fact is that you still live in this world. It reminds me of a, a apostolic scripture, right? Be in the world but not of the world. That that verse is a is a kedusha verse. That is a that verse is dealing strictly with kedusha. It's 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 a plea for holiness, right? And so we, well, man, I mean, again, kind of growing up Baptist, like, we love that scripture, right? That was one of our, that was one of our go-to verses. I mean, it was like, you, you pull that thing out as quick as you did, you know, John 3.16 on one hand and, and that verse on the other hand, even I can't remember the reference now, forgive me. But be, but being in the world, but not of the world, um, is exactly a caduceus statement. And we're, this is what this, this quote is talking about. So it's not, it's not cloistering together in, in these, uh, you know, these ascetic, as it says, communities or these uh, communes or, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. He says, it goes on to say, On the contrary, true kedusha, true holiness, comes to a person precisely through living his or her life with family, friends, and associates within the wider community and in the work day world, making a living within the boundaries of the halakha, the walking of Torah, Taking into account the needs of the needy, excuse me, dealing correctly in business, abstaining from all theft and corruption, from hatred, from vengeance, etc. It is precisely through keeping these commandments in our everyday material lives while actually dealing with all that we have to deal with each day that we become purer. Wow. Yes. Yes. So this – to me, this kind of embodies the whole um, chasm of difference between the way generally Christianity has looked at the whole you know, plan of God versus the way that a more Eastern or Jewish understanding of the whole plan of God is. In that, for, for the majority of Christianity, the idea is that eventually we will leave this planet and go to heaven – and kind of forgive my phrase, but to hell with earth, right? Because earth is intrinsically cursed. It's intrinsically sinful because of our view of original sin, okay? And I'm not going to push back against that. I'm just going to say that's the kind of the stated understanding, right? That that humanity is corrupt. The earth is corrupt. God's just waiting to the point where he can destroy it after he takes the church out uh, to heaven in the rapture. And then that's, that's it, right? So we have to earn our place in the rapture. You know, of course, Yeshua, we, we have Jesus, you know, and that, but this the idea of, of being out of here. And so that concept and that understanding makes it easier while we do live here to start separating ourselves from the, from the world at all costs separating ourselves from friends, family, as, as it says in the commentary, friends, family, coworkers, you know, business associates, whatever. Um, we, we might have to deal with people that we, that we, we don't believe are, are holy, um, but we don't like it and we don't want to. And we, you know, we just, it's part of, uh, it's part of just, you know, our curse here that we have to do this kind of thing. Um, and so that, that ideology is, is a temporary – is one of, of a temporal understanding because we're just biding time until God takes us up out of here or until we die and wait for the resurrection, right? Or until we die, and then as soon as we die, we'll be with, with Jesus anyway in heaven versus the, the more common Jewish understanding that, no, humanity is overall good. The world is good because God said it was all in Bereshit in the beginning, right? Um, that all the uh, that that creation and everything is infused with god already it 's all it 's all good um and yet realizing that the people around us that aren 't as holy as we think they should be or maybe are not at all um they are simply being overcome by either the adversary or the yetsuhara the evil inclination, and what they need is they need uh someone who is holy they need someone who is attached to uh, Hashem to come and bring light to their lives and to help them to overcome the evil forces that are overcoming them. Because the end result is that God, Hashem, is going to come here and reign here, right? For us, Messiah is going to come and set up the the, the kingdom reign here on the earth, and then at the end, the eighth day, the Father actually comes and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the Father reigns here on earth, and so, the idea that the earth will be remade, restored, redeemed, not that we're getting out of here and it's just going to go to hell in a handbasket, that no, the, the, that world, that may happen, but after that, there will be a restoration and redemption because this is God's place. This is God's investment. We are His people. This is His creation. This is His rock flying around, unless you believe in flat earth, you know, whatever your cosmology is. Again, I'm not going to get off into that. But, the idea that, that no, this, word, this world and these people on this earth are worth our Kedusha. They're worth us being holy for because they need light. Where darkness is strongest, there needs to be an infusion of more light. And that doesn't just fall from heaven. That comes through people who have committed to, to living the kingdom ethic, to, to bearing God's image, to being the expressed image of God. His essence, again, his character, his personality— In this world. And that comes through us dedicating ourselves to, first of all, to the model of Messiah. And to emulate him in every way possible. And to do that also through learning from the commandments and keeping the Torah. And as we keep the mitzvot, as we study them and we understand them to a greater degree, we elevate ourselves to that Kedusha with God's help. And by the example of Messiah, and we also have the empowerment of this, the ruach. Which I mean, there's no way for us to lose, right? If we will seriously invest in this, in this, in this job, in in this occupation of being an image bearer of Hashem, and caring about His reputation and caring about His His name and all that it resents, His essence. Yeah. So, th- this idea of holiness is not one of seclusion, but uh, again, I'll just. Kind of repeat this this quote. True holiness comes to a person and develops in a person, I'll add, precisely through living his or her life with family, with friends and associates, within the wider community and within the workaday world. Because you know why? People are gonna test your holiness, <laughs> right? <laughs> People are gonna test your caducia. Oh, oh, really? You think you got that down? Well, there's going to be somebody at your job tomorrow that's going to test it. There's going to be a client or a customer or a family member or one of your kids or maybe your parents or maybe aunts and uncles or, you know, our sister-in-law, brother-in-law or whatever, our long-lost forgotten cousins or whatever. There's going to be somebody that's going to test your holiness, always going to test to see if we're going to default to the vanities of this world or whether we're going to default to the, the ethic of the kingdom. And the empire of shalom, or are we going to be found loyal to the empire of chaos and, and Babylon and the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Are we going to be faithful to eat from the tree of life? This the, the last three words I want to mention that the uh, the the three are uh, the, the the faculties the foundation of kedusha. Three words in Hebrew: chokmah, bina, and daat which are an acronym for Chabad. H- 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 Hokma, Bina, and Da'at. They are the yesod, or the foundation of holiness. And what are Hokmah Bina, and Da'at? Hokma, Bina, and Da'at are uh, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, which all through the Scriptures we are told to pursue those things, and that the Torah is wisdom, right? Not just the book of Proverbs, The Torah is wisdom in itself. The whole word of God is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Are we people, are we growing in wisdom? Are we growing in understanding of what this world's all about and and where we are in time? Are we growing in knowledge of how to articulate and how to uh, traverse and navigate the world that we are in? Because God put us in this world for this time, and the next generation will be for its time, just like the last before us. So I pray that you think about holiness as you read Ketoshim and think about how you can more actively and purposefully uh, grow in Kedusha, not by separating yourselves from the things that may threaten it, but by engaging in the things that may threaten it. And so I hope you have a great rest of the week. Until next week's episode, shalom, shalom. Love you all. Have a great one.